Welcome to She Said, She Said. I'm Laura Cox Kaplan. Many of you will recognize my next guest as the actress who played Lillian Raines on the longest running soap opera, The Guiding Light. Of course, I'm referring to Tina Sloan. Tina is a new friend of mine. She is a fabulous woman. And she's gonna talk about evolution and personal reinvention. She played Lillian Raines for 26 years on the soap opera. She acted in a number of other parts along the way as well. But when that show ended, she had to reinvent herself. And she's done an incredible job of doing that. I think her story of personal evolution, of facing the aging process which, with such optimism and positivity is really inspiring for us. And as we think about the experience that we're all going through right now with this pandemic, I think the juxtaposition of Tina's perspective will be really helpful and I hope very inspiring to you. It certainly has been to me. With that, welcome Tina to She Said, She Said. Thank you, Laura, for having me to She Said, She Said. I'm so happy to have you and so happy to see you. Tell me how you're doing. You all are located in Florida. We're, I think we're very lucky. I mean, the sun is shining, the flowers are out. We have a swimming pool, so we jump in the swimming pool and we have a wonderfully shaded street where we walk or bike. And we're allowed to play golf here. So my husband plays golf almost every day. And he's shooting below his age, let me add. <laughs> so he's very happy with himself. And, um, you know, I'm getting a lot done. I walk with friends, we walk miles apart on this road um, and we swim quite far apart but do a water aerobics. So, and I'm working, I'm doing these little video casts every day. And I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm started a sequel to my book, Chasing Cleopatra, oh, great. which is fun. Mm -hmm. And there's a screenplay being written about it. Yeah, oh my gosh, that's fabulous. Okay, we wanna talk about all of these things, but, but let's start with, I mean, the role that so many people know you for was Lillian Raines on The Guiding Light, the longest running soap opera in history. It was on the air for 72 years. You were not on the show for all 72 years, obviously. <laughs> you, you were on the show for tw 26, right? 26, right, yeah. Which is an amazing run. What was it about that character that kept you there for 26 years? Well, I don't think it was just the character. I think there's a family. When you're on a soap opera, there's a family. I mean, my soap opera daughter, in real life, I'm the um, godmother of her, of her son. Is that right? We're, we're very, very close. And that's Beth. I don't remember the Beth, actress's name. Beth. Her name is Beth, too. And Philip Spaulding is I see all the time. Fabulous. Um, Michael O'Leary, who played Rick, um, he wrote a play and he had about six of us in the play. So we did that all over the country. We did it right down in Maryland. We were on Good Day DC because of it. So we've stayed very close as a group to each other. So that was part of it. It was also that I wanted to work in New York and I wanted to be home. I didn't want to do theater where I was out every night and weekends. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't go to LA because my husband and my son and my parents were in, the, in New York. And that was at my age, very important because my parents were aging and my son was still in school. So I was sort of squished and I wasn't going to go to California, even though I did a bunch of movies, fun movies. I, I liked staying on the soap. Every day was a new script. So it was always interesting. Yeah. Lillian um, 
was not very much like me. She was a really nice, I'm not saying I'm not nice, but she was a really kind, good person. But she had no backbone to her. And I kept wanting to say, come on, Lillian, stand up for yourself, you know? Yeah. At the end of the show, she finally did, and that was fun. I had loved when the show was going off the air because Buzz, who I marry, Buzz Cooper, um, never knew never knew his lines. So we were always ad-libbing, and it was so much fun. And yeah. that's when I got to say things that, Lillian, if it had been scripted, I mean, if I followed the script, she wouldn't have said, but I had to respond to him. So I got to say whatever I wanted to. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, part of the, one of the interesting things about the whole story and about Changing Shoes, which is your memoir, which you wrote several years ago, but you, you went through the, you, you evolved with Lillian because I you did. played her for 26 years. You yes. were experiencing things with the character that presumably to some extent you were experiencing in life as well. Oh, I think the fact that one becomes invisible as one becomes 40, 50, certainly by 60, were, was very much part of the show. I mean, she, Lillian was invisible. People could walk in and there's Beth and everybody's looking at Beth. And Lillian's just sitting there in her little nurse's scrubs. And these days, believe me, nurse's scrubs means everything. Those women... They're so courageous on the front lines. Oh, but anyway, my Lillian was just, you know, behind the desk taking notes and occasionally making faux pas, like ordering a spatula instead of a scalpel when we were doing operations, you know, ridiculous things. But um, I don't know. I, I certainly did go through the same thing she did. I mean, as I said, the invisibility, the child becoming more important, the grandchildren becoming more important, and which is true for sure in my life. Um, and she finally found love. I mean, she spent years alone and, and I didn't. <laughs> so yeah. we weren't like in that way, but I certainly understood her because I had friends who were alone and lonely. Yeah. She was, she was very lonely. I think she only was a mother and a grandmother. And she says this when Buzz proposes, she goes, yes, I'll marry you. I want to have someone who pays attention to me. Oh. And I think a lot of women as they get into their sixties, um, walk down the street and feel that they're invisible. And yeah. Lillian felt that way. You tell a great story that was that is your own personal story that you tell in the book about you'd been all dolled up on the soap opera for, for a party, which we right. parties all the time because soap operas are very glamorous. So you were all dolled up and Beth, I think, was with you. And you were walking down the street and men were looking at you and you realized- that They were looking, they were at, looking her. at her. Nobody was looking at me. <laughs> That was, that was the moment I, I went back. I mean, I loved her beyond belief. And all of a sudden, I really hated her. I mean, I really, I thought, why are they all looking at her? And of course, she was 30 years younger and gorgeous. And I went back to the, um, my mirror. And I remember looking in the mirror and going, how in one day did I get old? You know, all of a sudden, I saw the wrinkles. I saw the gray in my hair. I saw the flabby arms. I had on a strapless evening gown. And I looked at my arms and I went, no, how could I have worn this, you know? Now I wear sleeves all the time. So, of course, it was devastating, really yeah. devastating. <laughs> but every woman goes through it. And it's one of the reasons I wrote Changing Shoes was to say there are ways to overcome this part of your life. Yeah. How, how, how did you? I mean, what, what was your way of, you know, you, you 
you had this epiphany, which everybody does, like if you're lucky enough to get older, this is something you're going to experience. So give us some advice for how do you deal with it? And for, for someone like you in particular, who is in entertainment in a field that is uh, historically, and I think still, not very kind to women as they get older. No, it's not. I haven't had trouble with it because I've managed. I mean, when I saw this happening, I went home and I started writing that book, Changing Shoes, and the play, Changing Shoes, that went all over the country to show women exactly how they could stay in the game. And that's, that, that was the idea. You've got to stay in the game. You have to make something that's important. You know, I could see the handwriting on the wall that Lillian was, the, the show was going to go off. The soap opera was winding down. In the 80s, it was incredible to be on it. I mean, we were just touted all over the world. I mean, you'd go to Italy and they'd see you and they'd run down the street to hug you. The butcher, the baker, the matron, the, the, the head of Italy, the prime. I mean, we were massive all over the world. And then all of a sudden, you know, in the nine, late 90s and 2000, it began to really taper off. People weren't watching because of um, O.J. Simpson. I remember watching him in the car and thinking, we've all been preempted our shows for this. This costs them nothing. And we cost them a lot. And indeed, the shows started falling down. All the New York shows went off after we did. So, you know, you had to reinvent yourself. Yeah. I did this by writing Changing Shoes and telling women how to stay forever frisky, how to maybe start marathoning. I started running during that period when I felt old. I thought, oh, I'll start running marathons. That'll make me feel better. Yeah. And it did. It made me feel that if I put one foot in front of the other and persevered, I'd get to the end mm -hmm. and feel good about myself. Um, and then I started climbing mountains, 20,000 foot peaks. I was getting really desperate. <laughs> but I had a wonderful time doing these things and they made me feel better about myself. Because as you're going through this stage that I'm talking about, your parents are getting old. Between your work, your children, your husband, and your parents, there's no time for friends. If you're, if you're doing what I did, which was to be the caretaker. Yeah. Or to, to hire, I hired people, but I felt I had to be part of it. Yeah. So I'd go out and check on them all the time. And they lived to be in their 90s. And it was a long haul. So I, I learned things like, oh, and in the book, I put all the things you need to do. Like, I called it legally blonde. You, you need to make a will. And you have to do this. You have to get long-term health care insurance when you're young. You have to plan all these things for your life and the end of your life because you're planning the end of their lives. I mean, I remember my mother was quite, quite senile. She had senility dementia. And my father had left all his money to her. Well, she would have gone out and given it to somebody or bought a Ferrari or who knows what she would have done. So it was taking care of them right. that made me go, I've got to put this in a book for people to see when they're in their 50s or 60s, what they're going to have to do. And they have to I also put lots of tips from how to, how to stay looking good as you get older from the show, like curl your eyelashes every day. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do that today. <laughs> Tomorrow. I, I did. <laughs> no, I, I, I think the book is great because it does have equal parts, the sort of, you know, the, the bigger emotional stuff that you're going through, but also very tactical advice for how you're dealing with dealing with this was was the book a way for you to really was it part of your coping mechanism for dealing with this the challenge of caring for your parents and all oh, of this it was part of my coping mechanism for the fact that the soap was going off the air i could see it going off and i thought no one's going to hire a 60 year old woman 
to um, be on another soap. And I didn't want to go to California because everybody was back east. So I um, was passing a store. And in the store, it was an, a design store. It, it said, make something important. And I thought, that sign is there for me. I, I have to make something important. And I went home and I started writing very practical things about getting older and arm exercises. I don't know what I was doing. Um, taking testosterone to stay frisky, to feel, feel sexy as you get older. Um, I was writing all these things and I thought, this is something I want to share with people. So I made it a book. And then I thought, I'm an actress. I might as well keep working. Yeah. So I went all over the country. I mean, President Bush was in the front row with Barbara Bush. So great. It was really thrilling in Houston. You know, I went everywhere and had, you know, we opened in New York to thousands of people and it was, did really well. It was called Changing Shoes Like the Book. And that kept me working. I mean, I had reinvented myself as a playwright and as an actress on a play, in a play. And my husband would come on the weekends and play golf with the cute little girl who was helping me, you know, she was doing all my, every, doing everything. She's adorable. Uh -huh. And um, so he, she, he, her husband would come and Steve would come and no matter where we were, they'd find the best golf course and play golf while we were doing the play, the matinees. <laughs> so cool. that was reinventing myself. I mean, I think everybody has to have, I mean, you have done this by doing, she said, she said, you reinvented yourself, right? Right. Still, still trying, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you are, but you are. And I mean, you have a husband, you have children, but you've got this too. And, and I'm sure you go to the Chevy Chase Club or wherever you go and play golf or play tennis, whatever you're loving to do, skate. And that is all part of it. And I think keeping active physically is really an important part of it. Certainly during this time. Yeah. We have to walk. We have, we have to, unless you're in New York City where you can't get out. Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the things that I think is so interesting, or that I personally have found interesting, is that I didn't necessarily see my personal evolution coming until it kind of hit me. And it wasn't because I was fired or laid off or anything like that. I was, I was in the job that I had loved for a really long time, but it just stopped being what I thought I was meant to do. And it was the weirdest thing because I wasn't prepared for the fact that I would evolve beyond the role that I had and would need these other things. And I'm curious as to whether you kind of, I mean, you, you saw the show ending, but, but on a more personal level, were you beginning to evolve beyond it anyway? I think I probably would have stayed on it forever, to be yeah. honest with you. But because my son was, I think Rennie was going to Iraq, my son at that point, he went to Harvard. And then he, because of 9-11, volunteered for Iraq and went and did intelligence over there. So he was in Iraq. My parents were in not in great shape. Yeah. I had to help other people get ready for this. If I had known the things that I wrote in that book, Changing Shoes, I would have been so much better off. I mean, I thought... People don't know. I was sitting in a doctor's office and some, an eye doctor's office and two women came in with an elderly woman and they were sisters and the mother went in and I looked at them and I said, do you have a living will and the power of attorney for her? And I went, what did I just say? <laughs> but I meant it and they looked at me and said, no, what are you talking about? And I thought people need to learn these things ahead of time. Yeah. They need to be sure when their parents are young and healthy that they are doing these things because if you get older, you're, you're, you don't want to admit you're dying, so you don't want to do them. Mm -hmm. So I did that, and I, you know, and I 
sort of warn people not to sit and eat chocolate chip cookies all day, but to get out and run or walk or do something mm -hmm. because you want to sit on the couch as you're going through the things. <laughs> I mean, I was being diminished at work. My son was in Iraq. My, my parents were going through it. And so were, my husband was going through it with his parents too. So all of these things came together and I thought I need to take another step. And I so, I'm so grateful I did it. You're right. I saw it coming, but I also needed to make something important. And that book gives so many fun tips, I think, as well as, you know, like curling your eyelashes and <laughs> making, heating, up, heating up the curler with hot water, just like you do hot rollers. And that makes it really work. No way. I have never heard that. That's an awesome tip. Thank you. It's full of those kinds of things, as well as very funny stories, as you know. Uh -huh. um, so then um, we were moving, we moved to, my parents had died. My son was fortunately back at Harvard Business School, got married, has children, and lives in Chevy Chase, or Bethesda. Um, anyway, I then was kind of got down here and I thought, you know, the play had ended and I was doing some, quite a few, um, well, other plays, and I was doing these web series with a bunch of Guiding Light people, uh -huh. but um, I needed something more, and I'd had this dream, so I wrote a, a novel, a total novel. Now, 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 before you get into that, so was yeah. this, your, this is your first novel. Had no. you ever dabbled with writing a novel before? No, 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 no. <laughs> but I had a dream, and it was the, it, the romance part of the novel was the dream, and I'd put it under my bed for probably 15 years. And I guess when, well, we'd sold our apartment two or three years ago in New York, but I found it under the bed and thought, oh, this could be a good book. And I wrote a short book, a uh -huh. short love story. And I gave it to a very important person at Random House. She was, has her own imprimatur, but she's got, she has people like Pat Conroy and Margaret Atwood. I mean, she's very intellectual. And she said, it's fabulous, but you need it to be dangerous. So I decided to add a terrorist. And since Rennie had been in intelligence and had a lot of black op friends and interesting friends, I called them and said, now, how, how would I do this? And they helped me. So <laughs> men are loving this book. I mean, we are really loving it. And so of course, great. no one guesses who the terrorist is, which is my favorite part of the whole book. Yeah. But um, I had such a good time writing it. Um, but it took me years. And then I'd, I'd read it and Rennie read it. And Helen, his wife, and said, uh-uh, this was about three years ago. Mm -mm -mm -mm. You shouldn't, this is not good. Well, I was devastated. It took me six months to get over it, but I knew they were right. I knew I hadn't done enough work. So I went back and spent two years really working hard. And it came out, and I just, I, I've read it since we've been in quarantine, all of us. I've been rereading it because it's so, it keeps you from worrying. I mean, it, yeah. you get so involved in it. Um, it, it, it's it's so great, and I and I'm curious about how much did the experience with having these what could oftentimes be pretty audacious scripts on the soap opera. How much did they sort of spark your creativity over the course of your career on soaps, and how much is that of that sort of helped you translate that into a novel like this? Well, I certainly think that it has cliffhangers at the end of each chapter. People say they just can't stop reading because of each cliffhanger. Right. I didn't know I was doing it, but obviously it came from 35 years of being on soaps, 26 on Guiding Light, but 35 yeah. years of reading scripts. I didn't even know it was, obviously it's, it's in my genes now or it's in my brain so that I would know enough to stop it when people were, oh my goodness, what's going to happen and have to start keep reading. 
Um, and I think the soap, I'm, I'm sure it had a lot to do with it. I mean, the surprises in it, I think came, you know, you know the surprise, the two big yeah. surprises. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not gonna tell. <laughs> no, I know we can't because people, one friend of mine called me at 2.30 in the morning and said, I'm up reading your damn book. <laughs> and it's 2.30 in the morning, so you better be awake. She said, I can't put it down. And I thought it was wonderful. And it was because of something that had happened and she had not seen coming. And, you know, so then you keep going to see how it's going to play out. Yeah. Um, but I had so much fun leaving little clues for, for what was happening with the terrorist and also with the love stories, the betrayals. And I had so much fun leaving clues, but not letting them be so much so that people would get it. So then people will reread it. They'll say, okay, I'm going to see where, how I could have guessed this. And they couldn't really, but I did leave enough clues. Yeah, it's so great. So you're working on the sequel to the book currently, which mm -hmm. is fabulous. Any any timetable for when we can expect oh, that? Oh, I think it will be years. I mean, I don't know that I'll, I'm just having fun with it right now. Yeah. But I, I'm, somebody, there's a screenplay being written for the book. Fabulous. So, and, how, and how involved are you in that process? Not at all. I, I handed it off to someone who had helped me with the book, some, a younger girl who has done screenplay writing. And someone is interested in making a movie. What could be more fun than Steve and I go to Honolulu, Rennie and his family come out and stay with us. Um, I can't think of anything more fun. You can come visit and interview me there. <laughs> I would love that. That would be great. We'll I talk mean, about the movie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, you know, that's, it's all a pipe dream, but everyone who's, everyone who's read it has said this should be on Netflix or it should be a movie because yeah. it's very visual. And that makes sense because it was, as you said, I did a soap opera that was visual. <clears throat> yeah. You have such an incredible positivity for life and embracing change. And it was that part of your story that just really struck me and why I knew you'd be such a fabulous guest. Plus, I just loved spending time with you on the phone, as you will remember several months ago. I sure do. Um, you are using that positivity and that, that zeal for life to also provide some you know, warm thoughts to friends and followers. You're using all of your social media channels for this purpose, talk a little bit about what you're trying to do as we are all facing this pandemic together. Well, I kept thinking, what can I do? You know, I'm not a, I can't go to the hospitals. I can't go to the front lines. I'm also in the, in the age group that's, that's it's dangerous to be out. So I thought, what can I do? And I thought, oh, I can just do a, a video. And I, start, I did one saying, you know, okay, we're all in this together. And I, my heart goes out to people in small apartments with a lot of children. And it goes out to people alone, all alone during this time. And so I got so much feedback from it saying, you have no idea how that helped me. And sometimes I give practical tips, like when you go out um, outside, you need bug spray. I just found out about skin so soft. I mean, ridiculous things. Yeah. Or they liked my blouse, which was Hallsbrook, <laughs> who's a friend of ours. Um, and where did you get your blouse? But also they wanted, you know, they just said, I just needed to hear a voice that cared about me. Yeah. So I do them every day. And let me tell you, I've now started to do about five at a time when I have my hair and makeup done so I don't have to worry about it um, for five days. And then I just post them every day. Uh -huh. but, you know, it's hard sometimes to think of something that people want. I, I, I sent Rennie's kids... Um, dirt and lettuce seeds so they could build a little garden uh -huh. and I mentioned that and people said oh I put a window box now in my little apartment in New York right up near my window and I'm planning it uh -huh. so you know you can help people so much 
in small ways. And that's what I hadn't realized. And that's, I think you're doing this. I mean, this video that you're, or Zoom that you're doing is helping people. And that's what, that's what we have to do right now. Yeah. And I, I'm, I sort of worry when we go back out in the world, which I think is happening more and more. And I'm feeling the need for it more and more. Um, I have not been out of this area where I live at all because I have lots of friends here and I have everything right here. But I'm feeling the need to maybe, you know, people are saying, well, come to a party. Well, I mean, four of us will have cocktails. And it's, you know, that's scary to go into someone's house. You don't know who's been in their house or something. But yeah, no, you really don't. You really don't. Oh, you know. It's a scary time and we have to be super careful. Um, for people who are listening to this, um, talk a little bit about maybe just some final pieces of advice for how to, how to get that chutzpah to embrace change. Like how, what advice do you have for them for really trying new things? That can be a hard thing. And I think sometimes it can be harder as we get older. I think what you loved as a child, if it was puzzles or if it was crayoning, or if it was singing, or if it was playing the piano, what you loved as a child is perfect for right now. If you loved reading, you read. If you loved writing, you write. Painting, and I've mentioned some gardening. I mean, there are so many things people loved when they were little. Baking, so many people are sending recipes to each other, and, and cooking, and so many people are sending quotes, beautiful quotes to each other, and quoting, you know, all of those things. That you, but mostly what you loved when you were little. I mean, I loved talking. <laughs> I loved um, acting. I mean, and I loved writing. So I'm doing all of those things now. But I do think my husband said we we had this wonderful thing that we asked people: if everything was taken away, your family, your you, if you didn't have to worry about finances, your family, what would you be? We did. We had these seals. The Navy seals came to. Uh, Hope Sound or to Jupiter Island and my son came down and I got they were all about to leave the, the service they finished their service and there's a foundation called Commit Foundation that I'm involved with and Rennie's involved with and they helped these all of these men it wasn't just SEALs it was Army Navy all but very high-powered people who are coming out into the world so I got very high-powered men to come and talk to them but and, and it really helped I mean they, they got jobs my my, but during this, before they came, the men came, this, the important men, um, the women who were facilitating it, who let me add, one of whom had flown the SEALs into their missions and the other one who did submarine work. I mean, wow. they looked like us. And yeah. here they were. I said, well, well, you know, how did you get involved in this? And they said, oh, we just, you know, wanted to work. And I said, well, what did you do before this? And they sort of blew me off. And I said, okay, what did you do? And when they told me, I just went, oh, wow. really? Yeah. Um, but they said, if you had nothing to worry about in your life, what would you be? And the answers were fascinating. One wanted to be a race car driver. One wanted to um, go be a missionary in an island. It went on and on with the most spectacular answers that they wouldn't have given otherwise. Okay. And so at a dinner party one night, this is before this whole world happened, we asked all our guests what they wanted to be. And there was one very important person who said, I would have been, like to have been an admiral in the Navy. I mean, he was very important in the business world. And the next one said, I would have jumped in horse, jumped horses. And my husband said, I would have been Arnold Palmer or Jack Nicholas. He loves golf. 
So he's doing what he wants to do. You know, he, he and I thought that was wonderful. And um, another man, I said, I'm doing what I wanted to do, you know, all my life. I mean, I, if, I, if all the money and family and everything went away, I'd still want to do this. Um, what would you do if you had no worries at all? As you know, no financial worries, no family worries, no cooking that night dinner worries. What would you do? And if you and you don't find it out usually right away. I mean, it usually takes a while. These men, these men thought about it and they had they did come up with it. I mean, obviously it was somewhere nearby, but they were so worried about the getting a job for that because they all had families that they adored that they weren't you know um, they hadn't thought what do I want. You know, and so the one who said he wanted to be a race car driver, we got in touch with someone at Ford and he's now working in automobiles. Yeah. You know, you can do these things if you want. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Tina, this has been amazing. I ask everybody who comes on, as you know, for a single piece of advice, a life hack, or maybe a mantra. Maybe it's something that you wish younger, Tina, you had known when you were just launching your career, or maybe it's something that you share with others. What would be yours? I guess I'd just say you want to stay in the game. Fantastic. And the game of, is the game of life. And, you know, so you meditate, you pray, you do all the things you need to do to stay in the game. Yeah, I love that. And I loved spending time with you. Thank you thank so you. much for well, being on. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Tina as much as I did. She is fantastic. To learn a bit more about her, check out the show notes for this episode. Uh, there I will include links to both of Tina's books, Changing Shoes and also Chasing Cleopatra. And most of all, I really appreciate you being with us and sharing your most valuable resource, your time with us. I hope that you found this conversation and frankly, all of our conversations valuable and find information and content that you can use to make your journey just a little bit easier. Take care. We'll see you next time.